You are Locked On Pelicans, your daily podcast on the New Orleans Pelicans, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to another edition of Locked On Pelicans, the daily podcast covering your favorite team, the New Orleans Pelicans and NBA as a whole, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, available on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm your host, Pelicans Insider, credential member of the media and editor over at LockedOnPelicans.com, Jake Madison, at NOLA Jake on Twitter, here with you all on this Thursday. We've got one more day till the seizing uh, home opener for your New Orleans Pelicans, taking on the Dallas Mavericks and what should be a pretty fun game. We'll have the preview of that one tomorrow, but in the meantime, we got to talk lineups and rotations and break it all down after the opening game against the Raptors, where that was was questionable is maybe the best way to put it. We talked a little bit about it on the podcast yesterday, but I said we'd dive more in depth. Got the data on it. I can explain some of what went well, what didn't go well, and why they're doing this sort of things. We'll take a look at all of the lineup data uh, and information with that. Then we're going to look at rebounding and pace, the importance of that with this New Orleans Pelicans team before wrapping up talking about the Zion injury and the way the Pelicans have handled this. I was pretty critical about this on Tuesday, and then they've had some sort of course correcting, I guess, some PR betterment of it all. And we'll discuss that though. Something still seems a little bit off with that. And this should definitely inform what we think uh, regarding this team and injuries in the future. So let's dive into everything in today's edition of Locked on Pelicans. So the biggest story after the opening night loss to the Toronto Raptors definitely had to do with 12 guys playing, all 12 of those guys playing over 10 minutes each in what was a very weird rotation. And it seemed like this caught people off guard, but if you've been listening to the podcast, and I usually try and be a very modest person on this sort of thing, you would have known this because I've been talking about it. Funky lineups is what I've been saying for a couple of months now. This team just doesn't know what they have, who they have, and what works, and they're trying to figure all of that out. So I think this was a night where you got to see they were going to try and test things out as much as possible to the tune of 20 different lineups in this game, played at least a minute or so, and some of them played very, you know, slightly under a minute, but you saw 20 different combinations of guys out there, which doesn't necessarily mean anything by itself, and we shouldn't dive too much into some of the lineup data because it's just such a small sample size. The most used lineup in this game played 21 minutes together. The next closest, six minutes. You can't glean a whole lot from a team with just six minutes worth of action out there together, but it goes to show you that's a lot. There's a lot of different rotations and subs and lineups being used, and that's because they're trying to figure it out. As Alvin Gentry said, it's a work in progress. We don't know what we have, and as the season goes on, this will get kind of whittled down a little bit. It'll probably get whittled down a little bit on Friday where you won't see it that rotation be as loose and maybe tightened up just a little bit, um, and it'll probably coincide with Zion coming back, to be honest, about 20 games or so, about a quarter of the year, to really figure out what they have, what they're doing. I think a lot of people took issue with the fact that they could have won this game, but basically chose not to by trying to go out and test the different lineups and the different combinations rather than me sticking with something that was a little bit more tried and true, if that's even really possible. And it kind of contradicts David Griffin saying they want to go out there and beat people's asses. 
They could have last night. They could have done that to the Toronto Raptors, but they chose not to, and they chose the long game. And I wonder if things changed a little bit with that Zion Williamson injury, and maybe they just don't feel as much pressure to try and win now, even though I hate to use that phrase with this. But the most used lineup was the starting lineup, so let's dive into this a little bit, of Drew Holiday, J.J. Redick, um, Brandon Ingram, uh, Derek Favors, and Lonzo Ball. They played 21 minutes together in this one, had a a negative net rating of negative 24.5. That is bad. They had an offensive rating of 108.2. That would have tied for 22nd in the league last year in a defensive rating of 132.7. Would have been worst by far. There wasn't really a whole lot to like, I guess, when these guys really played together. You know, the pace was good for them. They had a pace of 113. And I told you guys yesterday, games slowed down in the fourth quarter in overtime. And that final pace number really isn't reflective of the style of ball that New Orleans played. Uh, They played pretty fast for the most part. It just slogs at certain times. And there's not a ton you can do about it. You can try and force that. But even the Pelicans wanted to go a little bit slower in overtime. So the starters did okay there. But rebounding was a bit of an issue, grabbing under 70% of available defensive boards to them. And we'll look at that more along with the pace in the next segment. But this lineup struggled, and it particularly struggled in overtime. And that's where you've got to feel very, very worried about the team. They came out starting together in overtime and basically just did nothing. They gave up a defensive rating of 266.7. That's bad. The pace was 85. They just did not work well together in overtime. 85, even in a slower period of time, is way too slow. That's not what this team was trying to do whatsoever. They could barely rebound. They could barely do anything right in overtime. It might be clear that maybe this doesn't work. Some of this probably has to do with um, with Derek Favors maybe not being healthy. Something seems a little bit off with him right now, and I'm a pretty big Derek Favors apologist, but it just didn't work. They might need to mix it up a little bit because lineups with Jaleel Okafor in them actually did pretty well. And that's kind of what you'd like to see in terms of the second most used lineup. You had Jaleel Okafor out there alongside Josh Hart. And I think those were two of kind of the key guys from this. That lineup rebounded well. They had a uh, positive net rating that wasn't great, but their defense was pretty smothering during that time because you just have guys out there that kind of hustle. They played fast enough, too, and I think that kind of is a big thing. Jaleel Okafor works well in a fast-paced system. I'm not advocating for him to take the starting spot necessarily, but it's something that's got to be looked at, maybe giving him some more run with some of these other starters and some of the better guys during this time when the Pelicans are still really trying to figure things out. That's one of the things you probably want to figure out as well. So basically that was the second most used lineup. The other one uh, basically subbed in Okafor for uh, Derek Favors as well. You also got Frank Jackson in there, Josh Hart. It was Drew Holiday, Jalil Okafor, Brandon Ingram, Frank Jackson, Josh Hart. This lineup did pretty good. They were good offensively. They could rebound enough, even though they weren't particularly great at it. But this lineup only played five minutes. They played very slow, and it was kind of a grinded out uh, lineup that could work have worked maybe a little bit better in overtime because that style of play could have been a little bit more suited for him. So it's too early to read into things again. 21 minutes, six minutes, five minutes, four minutes, four minutes, four minutes. 
you can't glean a whole lot from that other than Derek Favors did seem to drag down this team, particularly in overtime. And after maybe the first three minutes, he certainly was the weak link. Another thing that kind of jumps out at you is lineups with Brandon Ingram do not rebound particularly well. And that's something we're going to talk about in the next segment. So we'll get to that in a second, but you know today's show brought to you by Indochino. Indochino is the world's largest made-to-measure menswear brand. Start your style upgrade now with $30 off your total purchase of $3.99 or more at Indochino.com when entering Locked On at checkout. So pace and rebounding, two really important things for this New Orleans Pelicans team as they try and play that Alvin Gentry style of ball. And they struggled a little bit in this one with the rebounding aspect of things. They had a defensive rebound rate of 60%, meaning of all available defensive boards that are out there, they only grabbed 60% of them. So they were giving up basically 40% of the time an offensive rebound to the Toronto Raptors. That is a lot of second chance points and easy opportunities for Toronto to score. Scoring on offensive rebounds, whether it's a quick little putback, tip in, what have you, is often one of the most effective type of shots out there. By not rebounding well enough, you're gifting the op- uh, the opponent basically some very easy points, free points, if you will. It also means that this team can't get out and run. And you kind of saw some issues with the fast break and trying to get out in there um, in the game last night. New Orleans in this one only had... 13 fast break points. They want more than that. They weren't really able to get out and play the fast break style of ball that Alvin Gentry wants. They did play quick, however, and that really comes down to shot clock usage. When they got into the half court, they got into their shots and their sets really quickly and kind of just did what they wanted. If they had an open three, they were taking it. And it kind of, you can see it, uh, 20% 20.6% of their offense came with the shot clock being in between 18 and 15 seconds. That's considered early. 22 seconds to 18 seconds is considered very early. And the Pelicans shot 13.7% of their offense in that. That 22 to 18 is likely a fast break. New Orleans was 8 of 14 in situations like that. And when you factor in the threes that they hit, they had an E-field goal percentage of 71.4%. That's really, really good. They had a field goal percentage of 57.1. That's also really good. But it was only 14 shots that they got in that range compared to the early offense where they took 21 shots at seven more and they shot seven of 21. So while they were getting into the half court and ripping shots early, they weren't making those shots. So yes, they're kind of doing what they wanted to do but they weren't really just having the shots fall. And that comes to where we kind of worry about some of the three-point shooting. I know people are high on J.J. Redick and Josh Hart who hit threes, but you also had a game here where uh, Nikhil Alexander-Walker went one of 10 from the field. That's going to hurt you, particularly with those empty trips consecutively, possession after possession after possession in your early offense. And now you're giving the opportunity back for Toronto with the way you're not rebounding well, you're going to likely get them a score. I mean, 40% of the time they're grabbing an offensive board that is unacceptable just for everybody. But when your offense really wants to get into the fast break, you're not able to do so. And when Toronto's going to go and score on a second chance point like that, well, then you're in even more trouble with that. What were the second chance points um, numbers? There it is. They had 19 compared to the uh, Pelicans' 9. 
that's not going to get it done. And rebounding is going to lead to some better offense, more really early, uh, very early opportunities in transition. It's going to lower those second chance points. But where does that rebounding come from? And that's a concern. That's maybe where you would have liked to have seen Lonzo Ball in there in crunch time. Um, but I have a theory on why, because he why he wasn't, because he's not a consistent free throw shooter and you don't want to do a hack Alonzo or have something like that happen. But they've got to get some rebounding. Brandon Ingram needs to look more interested in rebounding in the first place. He did not in this game. And it really did end up costing New Orleans. But the good news is they were in this one. I don't think Toronto played particularly well outside of Pascal Siakam and Fred Van Vliet getting unbelievably hot. Van Vliet in contract years is so unbelievably good, and you saw it last night. He's also apparently really good once he has a kid, which he did in the playoffs. I think it was his second child, maybe, and then just went on an absolute tear, and he said he credited that. He needs to find a way to be in a contract year and have a newborn at the same time, and he's going to be a damn MVP of the league. But Toronto didn't play particularly well outside of two really outstanding performances. And the fact that New Orleans didn't play great and still managed to get this game to overtime, even though they could have won it, I don't know if that says more about Toronto or more about New Orleans, or maybe it's kind of somewhere in between. But the rebounding is going to lead to the right type of pace that New Orleans wants, not inbounding the ball and then having to take a shot early in the shot clock because that's just what you do. You want to maximize those opportunities, get efficient and effective looks and you can do that in transition I don't know if they're going to be great at doing that in the half court and you saw them struggle last night we will touch on the Zion injury I will give my thoughts on that here in a moment but today's episode of Locked on Pelicans brought to you by my bookie as a true football and basketball fan you already know just as sure as the seasons change Tom Brady's going to keep the Patriots in the game and Kawhi Leonard might be the best basketball player on the planet every weekend and weekday your favorite gridiron warriors put their skills to the test and you've got hardcore warriors out there as well but why aren't you trying to do the same We're already halfway through the NFL season. It's the start of the basketball season. So now is the time to get off the sidelines and get in the game with MyBookie. MyBookie is the premier place to bet on all your favorite pro and college football and basketball teams every single weekend. They have the most up-to-date lines and the most prop bets of any sportsbook on the planet. So if you're going to bet this season, do the smart thing and bet with the best at MyBookie. And the best part about it right now is if you join today, MyBookie will double, that's right, double your first deposit. So if you put in $1,000, they're going to give you $1,000. That is free money right there. That's double your initial deposit that you can use on all of your favorite picks. Use promo code LOCKEDON to activate the offer. That's promo code L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N to double your cash. Visit mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. Finally, the Zion Williamson injury and the way the Pelicans handled this. I was pretty critical on Monday regarding all of this because clearly the Pelicans knew about this injury far before they announced the surgery on Monday. You know, there were rumors on Friday. Those rumors ended up being true, but they did the MRI on Wednesday. They probably got the results right then and there, and it showed a tear. I don't know if, look, I'm not a doctor, but I don't think a torn meniscus is something that it's going to take multiple people to diagnose. And, you know, they knew he had a torn meniscus. And then the next update was basically he had surgery, not has, is having surgery, but had it. And it just wasn't handled well. It left Pelicans fans in the dark over the weekend. People freaked out. 
in my G chats, in my text messages, in my Twitter mentions, people were really concerned. People were really upset and different things like that. And I understand it. There's a lot of expectations this year for the team. And this is a real big blow to all of that. It kind of takes the shine off everything. And it was disappointing, particularly with the rumors out there and those spreading. And they ended up being true. But what if they weren't? The Pelicans want to kind of get ahead of some of this stuff. And it took them till Monday to do it. David Griffin on Tuesday clarified a little bit of the, the situation and basically said that they wanted to get multiple opinions and didn't want those other opinions influenced by things they had already read and heard. Again, I don't know if that's... I, look, I, I don't want to say he's lying or not take him at face value, but given what the Pelicans did with this injury... I don't know if I'm in the mood to necessarily trust him when it comes to this sort of thing right now. Again, if they have an MRI and you tell the doctor, I think he has a torn meniscus, he's going to ask to see the MRI results. It's not like he's going to do it again. And it's pretty cut and dry. But again, I'm not a doctor. I could be wrong. And if there is a doctor who knows more about this, let me know on Twitter at Nola Jake. But he clarified, and it was just good that he was more transparent and got out in front of it. And that's the thing I think people really appreciated. I don't know how much I believe some of the things he said, but that's okay. The fact is he was talking and he was open about it. He apologized about it, which he certainly didn't need to do. This team doesn't owe us anything when it comes to injury news or anything like that. Now, if the sports betting laws change and the NBA gets involved with that, that might be a very, very different thing. But the good news from all of this is he said six to eight weeks, but it sounds like that six to eight weeks till he's fully ready to play like 100%. And so I would assume he'll be back to doing contact and stuff before. It's not like six to eight weeks. And then he starts to practice should be six to eight weeks for a full recovery. And I'm sure he can do things in the meantime too. They just don't want him playing games. So overall it could be worse, but David Griffin did say he's going to probably try and come back sooner. Now the Pelicans may not let him, because he, this is a young guy who wants to play in the NBA, wants to get his first taste of action out there. So he's going to be chomping at the bit to get back early. But it might not be what's best for him. So this is kind of the Zion watch that we're going to be on now is what's he doing? How is he? It sounds like he's in good spirits. It sounds like they are not worried about anything long term. And I loved what David Griffin said about his weight or his conditioning and basically called it all asinine, I think was the word that he used. Basically called it all bullshit. That this guy is in unbelievable shape even for the weight that he plays with he talked about when they gave him the physical or worked him out that he was on the like cardio machine or something like that trying to like break a sweat and it took so long for him to get his heart rate really worked up to where the doctors could like measure things I guess or have him sweating because he's in such good shape and in such good condition whatever weight he plays at as long as he can do the things he does on the court it's fine. And now we have to kind of sit through the national media being like, he's overweight. He's fat. He's got, it's, I heard someone on ESPN say, you can see the baby fat in his cheeks. Like that affects you as an NBA player in any freaking capacity at all. This is a non-story. It's been a non-story, but people are latching onto it because they just want to make sense of kind of what was just a fluke injury. He banged knees and then they didn't realize it for a little while because he has such a high pain tolerance, according to David Griffin, that he didn't tell him it was hurting because it wasn't hurting him. And then once he did mention that, they're treating it with an abundance of caution. This ended up being no big deal. It's a good thing, but certainly the Pelicans didn't handle this well. I think they made an improvement with David Griffin speaking to the media and how different that is from the previous regime when we just would have heard zero from Dell Demps or anyone else regarding this. And overall, it could have been a whole lot worse. 
And at least there's some transparency that we've never had before. I did not like Alvin Gentry having to deal with fielding the questions about it and kind of taking the blows from reporters and the media there uh, on Monday after all of this and Friday too. And instead of David Griffin coming out and kind of doing it, it reminded me of what he had to deal with with the Anthony Davis situation last year where no one from the team was willing to speak and Gentry just had to get trotted out there and just be a punching bag for a while. That's not great. And I'm sure Gentry doesn't like that, but at least he has more job security. So, hey, maybe that makes him feel a little bit better. They didn't handle this great. Did a little bit of a better job there. Still don't trust him. That's totally okay. Hopefully it'll get better in the future and they've learned from this and we just maybe never have to deal with an injury to Zion again. I guess that fixes everything. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of Locked On Pelicans. Thank you all for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast from. Please leave a five-star review. Hit that subscribe button. It actually does a lot more than you think for the podcast. Even if you're not following it that way, get on there, hit those bu- hit that button, leave a five-star review with a comment if you can. It does a lot of good for the show. So thank you all for listening. As always, I'm your host, Jake Madison, at NOLAJake on Twitter, and I'll be back with you all tomorrow for the Pelicans home opener.